Trade Talk Live. Off. Should we get started? Let's go. Let's let's crack on. It's okay. a beautiful day in London. It's also a, a beautiful day here in San Diego. They buy things to impress people that they don't even like. You do have to change the culture. The culture in the organization is the most important. It's as if reality is splintering into multiple shards. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I'm one of the co-hosts of this not-for-profit show, Rick Snyder. And I'm also the CEO of Invisible Edge, the author of Decisive Intuition. And um, 18 months, we've been, um, we, Af and I, who I'm about to introduce in a second, uh, created this show based on really exploring the ideas around human, digital, and social transformation. Our world has radically changed as we've all known, and it's not going back to the same. And so we know that we needed to create a platform to have those conversations around where are we going? What are the things we need to be discussing today? How do we stay on the leading edge in these different important areas that affect all of us? And so with that, I want to introduce our incredible co-host that you all have come to love and know very well, Af Moholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. I'm going to start with Oscar Wilde's uh, Be Yourself, um, Everyone Else Has Already Taken, um, a, a profound quote because that's what we use as the emphasis um, to build this movement, actually, um, to a large extent. And it's a, it's a bit of an emotional day for us because two very important things are happening today, uh, one with our guest and one with us. So with us, it's our final show. It is our final show until we come back for another magnificent, exciting season in 2022, in January. And so for the next three months, there will be no weekly Thursday, 5 p.m. UK, 9 a.m. PST, 12 p.m. EST, uh, straight off live. We will miss it immensely. Um, we are building a whole new brand. We are working on our marketing. We're building and cultivating our community. And so be patient with us. You're going to see loads of new stuff coming out of us through that period. A lot of content, um, a lot of transcripts, articles, blogs of material we've already produced. And uh, they're nuggets of wisdom in so much of the work that we've already covered. And the second amazing thing is that uh, the guest today is almost pre-launching his, um, his work, his book, his memoir, his uh, discourse on, on business and life, his wisdom. He'll tell you all about it, of course. But it's a special moment for him because this is the first time he's discussing his book on any forum, on any platform, and we're privileged to to have that opportunity today. So without further ado, uh, you all know me, and I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity with, with my buddy there, Rick. I'm going to throw the cricket ball for the last time this season, this 2021, to introduce our guest. Thank you so much, Af. And without further ado, I want to introduce um, our world to Mike Amato. So Mike, first of all, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Thank you very much. Gosh, it's a pleasure to be here on this big day for you and for me. I love it. Yes. And so just want to share a little bit of your background and then have you, of course, get more into this as well. So um, uh, we all know that you're a professional speaker, advisor, 
and also recent author of A Better Way to Win, which I believe is coming out in the next two to three weeks or so. Is that right? Yes, it is. And just looking at your tremendous experience uh, with executive coaching and the work that you've done in the fintech sectors, um, you're on the board of Tandem Bank, uh, you have been on the board of Santander and in tremendous experience transforming Barclays as well, amongst many other organizations. Um, I'm an executive coach myself, so this is conversations very close to my heart in how do you actually lead leaders? How do you transform the conversations that they're having uh, that trickle down to actually make a difference? And not just you know the nice thing you paste on your wall, your plaque of your values and your mission, but what's how is it really lived in a business that makes a real tangible difference? So I can't wait to get into this work with you and uh, this conversation with you more deeply. So once again, thank you, Mike, for being on our show. Absolutely, thank you, thank you, Rick. And let's start with you know um, obviously you were attracted to you know the banking world, the financial world. Um, but you were also attracted to leadership and to coaching. What about that spoke to you? And how did you know that was the direction that you wanted to go? Um, great question. Great question. And, you know, when I, when I, when I think about this, the, the whole issue of, of um, how things work. So let's start broad mm -hmm. and, and how a company works. And, and, and it's clear that the ecosystem, the culture is a very important driver. Uh, but it's very, not very well understood what it really means. And I had a boss one time that said, you know, what relevance is leadership? And of course, we all had quick answers, right? But they weren't not very deep. And the question was, what relevance leader? And, and it haunted me and said, what is our relevance? In other words, if you took all the leaders out, something would occur. And, yeah. and, and the idea would be rather than take a random occurrence in terms of how the business performed, what impact is the leader? What are they there for? And, and, and the more I got into it, the more my career developed, I realized a lot of people define leadership as a control function. Mm. And, and that begins to divide and divide things. Well, now when you divide things in a culture, in an ecosystem, you now have the beginning of drifting, of, of drifting of purpose. You have people there, by definition, divided in purpose, which begins to create an ecosystem that's not, not the one you really intended or the one you put on the, on the elevator or the lift walls. It's, it's something, something new. So if you redefine leadership, and I'm intrigued by this and helping people to understand, if you redefine it from a control function to a support function, and there's lots of ways to say purpose-led leadership and generosity and leadership, whatever. The point is, is that it's, it's a support function. And, and my best bosses were those who were my Air Force. They, they, took, care of the, they took care of covering uh, from the air, the, making sure that everything's safe, that I could perform, that I could do my best work. And so it's logical to extend that then to my teams and provide that support function and say, how do we enable our teams to perform? Because at the end of the day, a business is performance. Um, it, it's not execution. It's not, it's not um, uh, the typical words that we see that drive an outcome. It's actually a performance. And when you get everybody to perform, which is a whole other topic, but everybody to perform and you enable that, now it's true leadership. And now you've got an alignment of purpose as opposed to a division of purpose. Mm -hmm. So that's what got me into how do you make that happen? What are all the, the sub um, um, sort of subconcepts that come to life when you think about it that way? But that kind of, Rick, that kind of frames it up for me. Mm. Oh, one of the things that I, I, you know, found really unique about your experience, Mike, was, um, and it's quite rare to find an executive leader who has made some sort of a transition into the world of 
um, uncertainty, in other words, of the world of startups in, in whatever capacity. Um, and of course, don't get me wrong, it's now really popular, um, isn't it, these days? So yeah. just about everyone seems to be jumping onto advisory boards of startups. But I do remember just five years ago, 2015-16, I remember loads of executives telling me, oh, I'm not going to waste my time with this half. Don't be silly. Is it paid? Of course not. I'm too busy. And you'll know all about that, of course. You made that trans transition way before. So you were an early adopter. So you saw something, you sensed something, you um, intuited something that I guess many others didn't. Uh, talk us through uh, briefly uh, about your corporate journey. And then I know you have very important stories that you're, you're going to share with us that you have in your book, of course, and we'll read that in the book. Uh, but your corporate story. Um, and then how do you make that transition? And why did you make that transition into uh, becoming a board member at Tandem Bank? You know, what, what compelled you to do so when others were probably like, I, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing they would have said, Mike, are you nuts? Are you balmy? Are you crazy? Just keep focused on your gig. You know, you'll just climb higher and get another C-level job. Why waste your time? Um, and so on and so forth. So just help us understand that because I think the audience would, would want to know. You bet. Well, start kind of um, my career journey. Um, again, it's a little unique. I, I started in a, in a small bank uh, in, in the United States. We call it a thrift, um, like a building society in the UK. And, and, and I was answering the phone right out of university. I just answered the phone. They wanted to, to decide, gee, how, how can we create this thing called telephone banking? Nobody had it. So they hired four of us and it was only for three months because they were sure it would not be relevant to the, to the organization. We only had 54 branches and about 3 billion in assets. So I started just answering the phone and, and, um, as the organization, just kind of the right guy at the right company, the organization grew. And we started over the course of 32 acquisitions, we became the sixth largest bank in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I went from answering the phone to 24 years later, became the president of the, of the organization. Mm -hmm. And in that process, it's like surfing on a wave. You can't get out in front of that wave too fast or wash over you. You can't sit back and wait and see how things are going to unfold or it goes right underneath you. So you've got to be in the curl. And it's really challenging to stay in the curl and grow with that wave, grow with the organization and have your capability grows. And, and, and so I was able to, to be in a role that, um, look, I, I, I love things and, th and, and, and I love to be creative and I love to find a way. And a lot of times innovation and love go together and says and with dissatisfaction with how things are done. So I'm always kind of pushing to say, are we really doing the best thing possible? And what is our purpose? I always go back to that. What is our purpose? And are we living it? So I was in a role where I had a chance to do that and work with um, um, the people part of the business. And I became even more deeply entrenched. And by understanding all the roles on the way up, I knew what leadership did to put barriers for performance and what leadership did to accelerate performance. And so I obviously wanted to do the latter and avoid the former. So it kind of gave me a purpose that aligned me with the people that I worked with. So um, as the organization grew, we started getting in more and more. The bank wanted to do more and more subprime lending. We started bringing in people from the outside and um, uh, bringing in different culture. The culture got kind of distorted. The purpose got lost. Mm -hmm. And um, an example, we started, we started having three or four investor presentations every week with mutual fund investors or hedge funds or whatever that, that we're talking about what we needed to do differently. So the focus became heavily on shareholder, whereas before it was balancing customers, right. uh, employees, uh, shareholders, and communities, right? So it became distorted. So um, 
my division had not done any subprime lending and um, we started talking more and more about doing it. And, and it just became very clear that my values didn't align. So I left the organization, went to Barclays in London. Uh, two years later, actually 18 months later, the bank I worked for, Washington Mutual Bank, became the biggest bank failure in the United States. Now, it, I, I, it had nothing to do with me leaving necessarily, but the point of it was, was that nobody predicted that would happen. I didn't know it. But the drift in values and the bad timing with the, with the um, uh, chasing subprime lending and chasing ever higher returns just blew up when the housing market blew up. So it's a tragic ending for so many people that I worked with and I loved. Um, in fact, I got a book when I left signed by 1500 of the branch managers um, saying goodbye, Mike. And it was really personal messages. I have the book in the other room. It's one of my most prized possessions. So I loved them. And it was tragic to see that end. Well, when I went to Barclays, it was an organization that was trying to um, re redefine itself. They'd wanted to grow in the United States. And the, and the analyst said, well, if you can't get it right in the UK, how are you going to take the United States? So I brought a team of us. Um, my boss was, uh, is Deanna, was Deanna Oppenheimer. She was my boss at Washington Mutual. So she called me and said, hey, we could use your help. <clears throat> Pardon me. So we came over there. And, and as we looked at the organization and wanted to kind of transform it, my focus as always was on culture. And what I loved about Deanna, when I mentioned Air Force, Deanna allowed me to focus on culture, not just how do you sell more stuff? How do we do more things? And we came into a culture where people, that's all they managed. They, all they managed was numbers. Mm. And, and so you have this kind of a toxic effect on the culture where you're driving, driving performance. We're going to drive performance. We have weekly calls for performance. You're going to have a perfect day and you have to measure the perfect day. And it's measure, measure, measure. And, and if you don't stack up, then we're going to make changes. And, and it begins to drive a different culture where your A players leave. They go somewhere else. Mm. Um, the B players learn how to survive and C players, you know, depend on how you define C players. They just moved out. You always cycle. So that, so that regretted turnover was very, very high. So bottom line is one night we're in the middle of this transformation, trying to figure out how can we turn around an organization? My team was 30,000 people and the employee engagement scores were 64%. Now this is by the Hay group did the me measurement. Global high performing norm was 86%. Washington Mutual was 87%. And Barclays at the time, Barclays UK was, was 64%. And in fact, only about 75%, 76% of the employees would even answer the surveys. So you knew there was an issue. Mm. And there were some other signs too, which due to time, I won't get into, but you have a company, it's just, it's just got problems and we have to fix it. We have to fundamentally re, um, redirect the efforts into a new culture with new values and new purpose. Well, uh, the, the worst thing ever happened to me professionally um, became the greatest gift ever when we got a phone call one Friday night and it was a BBC producer saying, you guys are going to be on TV Sunday. It's like, oh, fantastic. This is great news. Um, they said, yeah, well, we have a program called Whistleblower and we've had three um, reporters embedded in your staff for the last 18 months. And we've recorded video and audio of all your training sessions. And we're going to show how you guys have a culture of mis-selling and how badly you treat customers and employees. Wow. wow. And it was, and it was like stunning. Um, obviously um, in the United States, you couldn't, wouldn't be legal. So of course we called the attorneys right away and we found out the UK it is legal. So um, the show happened and the gift it gave us was the reason for transforming the culture. It was now wow. in front of everybody on national TV. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and that's kind of what got me going in terms of, 
in terms of transforming something from something to something. And when you get into then later on in my career, I went into board work, um, um, as you mentioned at, at Tandem, I'm going to accelerate through to that, where we yeah. board work at, at, at Santander and Tandem. And, and my focus is always, where's the customer? We've lost the customer. There's four con- constituencies. And then you add the regulators. There's, we have to make sure that we balance the needs of every constituency. Mm-hmm. And, and, and where's the customer? To the point that at Santander, they'd make a joke a little bit about Mike and his customers, you know. Um, but we would seriously sit in 16 hours of meetings for two days, talk about enormously important things. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last 15 minutes, oh, yeah, here's some customer insights. Here's business performance. And, and so... Um, like I said, I kind of became known for beating the same drum of where's a customer, where's a customer, mm-hmm. and, and how does that live inside the organization, and do we really understand the culture? So it's this sort of ability, or not ability, but a willingness to challenge the status quo inside. So I was an entrepreneur. I was different in terms of how I focused on the business. My PL was people and leadership. A typical banker's PL is profit and loss. And I showed at Barclays when we turned that organization around how focusing on people leadership drives actually a higher PL profit and loss, like significantly higher. Um, would this be a good time for me to, sh- to share those outputs? I would, I would love that because I think in some ways to me, it's really obvious that if you have engaged employees, they're going to perform better. Yeah. But if you could really just spell out the formula, because people still, as we all know, focus so much on numbers, numbers, numbers. And if I just keep you know, yelling more loudly about those numbers or more, more frequently, it's going to inspire everyone magically. So can you share more about what, what is the formula really around real performance and engaging people and human beings? Uh, absolutely. First of all, it's, it's, it's individual change. So an organization is, is a group of people um, and, and they should be there aligned under one purpose, right? So, so when you look at, if I want people to do certain things, if I want a person to do certain things, what I need to is, is to is to unleash their performance. And to do that, there has to be certain things. Number one, remove barriers. Number two, add something to work for. And um, when, 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 when you look at it from an organizational standpoint, um, focusing on, on personal development and attaching people to a vision is like the first step. So step number one is to say, where are we going? Like, like what, what are we doing here? And let's, let's define clearly where we're going to go and then stretch that vision. And that's what a lot of companies who live on budgets and live on the uh, uh, scarcity mentality don't do is create aspirational goals. But it's not enough just to create that vision. You have to create that vision and then have specific measurements and outcomes that you're going to, what would it look like when you do that? So again, we had four constituents, customers, colleagues, the capital markets we have to we have to make sure that we that we earn our keep and then the communities that we all serve so what does it look like when you deliver value to the customer what does it look, what are the metrics how do you measure that um what does it look like in terms of employees uh, turnover um, um internal promotions uh, um, um employee satisfaction with work or the engagement right so so you put specific numbers in there and the third thing which a lot of companies don't do in fact i'll tell you most companies don't do is try to attach an emotion to that. If we do that, what will we feel like? And then you take that message, that aspirational vision, which by the way, your senior leaders will tell you, can't, 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 can't. Mm -hmm. Too high, too high, too high, too high, because they're scared they're going to get goals higher than what they can do because they Mm want to move from, if I jump three inches tall, I want to go to 25% improvement, okay? Mm -hmm. 
um, as opposed to what could we do if we did all these things? What would it look like? And it's scary. So you've got to create trust, right? In that process, but you've got to attach an emotion to achieving that. What will it look like? And then convert that emotion to each individual person. Do you have a feeling that you participate? Do you have a feeling that your contributions are? Because let's go back to individual performance. It's driven by what do I want from my work? Gosh, guys, I want three things. I want to feel like I'm engaged in important work, that we're all kind of doing something important here, especially the newest generations now. Secondly, I want it to be, I want to think that I'm contributing meaningful, that, that, that I matter. And third, that I want to be recognized when I, when I do contribute. So if you take that emotion and say, let's create a message and let's create a, a transformation that touches each person so they know where they fit, then let's overlay that with performance management systems, communications uh, that accelerate the building of trust in the organization, that we're here to succeed, that we serve the brand, not the leader. Mm-hmm. Big shift. And we start turning that that performance loose then and as people that want to versus have to. So... Uh, what, what happened? We went from seventh in the UK to number two in terms of um, customer advocacy, okay? Um, and this was, by the way, in 18 months. 30,000 people then, we got, a, we got a 95% response to our engagement surveys, and the score went from 64% I mentioned to 92%, the highest of any bank globally. Mm-hmm. So the worst of any I'd ever seen to the highest globally, and that was 30,000 people aligned around, they know what we're doing here. They're aligned around the vision. Um, what happened with uh, management? Well, let's, let's measure productivity and efficiency. So we consolidated a bunch of branches. We cut about 250 million pounds, um, which at the time was about $500 million um, in costs. So we became much more efficient. Productivity, sales. We, we, we were doing about 10 sales per seller for the last 10 years. It was a flat line and I was told it could never change. It went from 10 sales per seller to 23 sales per seller. Oh, what about quality then? Well, we created a a post-sale follow-up with the regulator. We created a a follow-up so we could check with customers to make sure that they understood what they got, they understood everything about it, and that we welcomed them to the bank. But it was a compliance call, also welcome to the bank call. Uh, We had seven failed audits a year before, excuse me, five failed audits a year before. We had zero failed audits after that, zero. Mm -hmm. Now, finally, what happened is, guys, we, we were struggling to do 50% to the plan, and the plan was shrinking every year because the performance wasn't there. We never did less on the financial plan. We never did less than 140% to plan after that, and that's even with the plan growing. Mid-year, it would be growing so we could cover the shortfalls from other, other uh, parts of the bank. Mm-hmm. So boom, boom, boom. You go all the way across and say what happened. It was fantastic. And, and, and to watch it and feel it was just a tremendous experience. So to me, that's a long-winded way to say that's a formula for turning things around. It's got some key points there that, that really ignite the organization and create a revolution from the streets, not from the mindset of a, of a leader who's trying to control a, a message going out saying what we need to do. Does that help, Rick? Sorry. Yeah, I, I love that. And one, one obvious question for me is, I know that, for, so I think on, on this call, it makes total sense. Get it. Do as well organizations that AF and I touch and, and are in conversation with, whether it's our own or ones that we is or what have you. My question for you is: How do you deal with um, the critics out there, the shareholders who are like, "Yeah, purpose-driven business, 
purpose for me is more, more, more money coming my way. Uh, I want to yeah. stuff my coffers here. Um, I don't really give a shit about this and that. That, that. It feels good. That's nice. And here's what I care about is the bottom line. How do you deal with that mindset? Because I know that's still very prevalent out there. Also, the old guard is still very much in control in many ways at the end of the day. How, do you, how have you found successful ways of engaging with that mindset? Yes. Um, I used to go about it that we're going to change the world. We're going to get everybody to understand the value of it. Because the paradox is that you will make more money if you'll focus on the drivers of the money-making machine, if we're going to put it in the most crass sense that an investor mm-hmm. would look at. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on the machine and you'll make more money. Mm-hmm. Um, um, as opposed to focusing on the output and then backfilling your planning process around what we need. I mean, how many meetings did I have where we started saying, guys, we've got to make, it always seems to be 200 million, <laughs> whether it was Washington <laughs> or Parker. We need to make 200 million more. We need to cut 200 million. So, so it's always, and, and then you make a plan around that. And, and, and quite honestly, that's opposite. So, so I tried to, my, my, my focus originally was, I'm going to change the world on this. And what I realized, if like anybody, Rick, you would know this, and Af, you certainly would know this, just that, is that um, you just can't water the weeds. Um, um, yeah. I left Santander because I was watering the weeds. My, mm. I, I, I was not having any impact. I was not able to, to, to really change the culture um, from a board position. I thought we could do a lot of cool things and, 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 but if, but if the leadership layer blocks it, if they don't see the value in it, if they don't trust that if they'll do something different, it's almost like I'm saying, will you jump out the window, the parachute will open, I pr- promise you. And, 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 and I couldn't impact it, bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I was not adding value. There were, you know, so th- th- there was um, what they needed was not what I was wanting to offer. And, and they wouldn't do what I was asking them to do. So a little bit frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, Likewise, when I went to Tandem, we started off with a really strong purpose, right? And we started off with with a purpose of saying, we're going to um, create a digital uh, relationship with customers and and create a new relationship with their money, not with the bank. And what does that look like? And how do we tackle these big issues that big banks have, okay? Um, And and, and as we got into it, then is a very purpose-led organization, but the execution of it was very it became very very divided, and 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 Brexit happened. So the organization was always was always striving to attract investment. So that was another thing. Going back to ask question about you know fintech is is you need investment, and what happens is the person that you thank mightily for investing in your company becomes becomes the one that ultimately changes your culture and changes your mm-hmm. change your group. And and again from a board position. I left the board in January. I'd been there for uh, six years, left the board in January because again, I was not the guy for that position. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they had taken on a new investor, private equity, and they're all about returns. They're all about never mind dreams, never mind all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, we're going to, we're going to make this thing profitable. And and here we go. And so again, that's not, they get much better people um, who, who, Mm -hmm. who can help them do that. So long um, winded way of coming back now to say what I found is that people that it sounds ridiculous, right? Uh, people that want leaders that understand that they want a different outcome. And if they believe, belief is massively important when you're doing one inside the organization, but it's equally important when you're explaining to a leader in a different way to do things. I want you to believe and I want you to see the value of it. And what's cool is that I can share the actual ROI of a cultural transformation, the actual ROI of focusing on improving the performance of your team in terms of what it what it does in terms of in terms of making you more money and so people that listen 
gosh, we have a great time and, and we're able to make a big, big impact. But if, if not, we just can't, I, I'm sorry, but I just don't water the weeds. Mm. I think what you're saying is it's a good learning for all of us, actually, anyone listening here is, you know, no matter how proven the formula, how magical, how unique it is, it could be like a diamond in the rough or a shiny diamond. Uh, not everyone deserves to wear it on their finger. And so you've got, you've got to be very careful about selection yourself. So, you know, you shouldn't feel disheartened that, oh my God, I've got so much energy and inspiration and I've got the know-how. I have the formula. It's like the cure to cancer. I have it, but no one's listening. But some are, but not everyone. But maybe everyone's not supposed to listen to you at that moment. And that's why timing comes into play, which I'm sure you talk about um, in your book extensively. That's one big takeaway. I have one more question for you because it's intriguing. How much of what you are today, perhaps I'm taking a punt here, is to do with your educational background or how you were brought up? Because I don't think it's just like, you know, I'm a hardcore capitalist till 29 and then, you know, I got hit by a car and I switched and I'm really good to people. I don't think it's as binary as that. Tell us a bit about your background, if you if you wouldn't mind. Sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, well, okay, so so this is straight talk. So I'll tell you what, guys, growing up, I was uh, lacked direction. I was a horrible student. I never got junior high and high school. I was kind of like one of those people that really quiet in the background, kind of funny, but quiet in the background. Um, I wasn't a star athlete. I wasn't a standout student. I just I just didn't get it. I didn't have a, you know an attachment to the process or anything. And I always think, what was I going to do? What was I going to do? What was I going to do? And as I grew up, actually, what I did was I played a lot of baseball and stuff, and and um, I had a great family, right? But I had a dad who 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 started um, literally from the streets, pretty much into creating a family with five children, and um, and and he had a had a big job in the in, in distribution, the movie business, etc. And and he he was learned how to be. He taught me how to be street smart. My mom was one of the most intuitive counselors I've ever met in my entire life. And she would talk to me about the deeper issue with regards to emotional control. And she would talk to me about how to reinterpret different situations. So you take a street smart father and you take a mother who is very intuitive in counseling and saying, look at the bigger game of what's going on. Look at what energy does and how we project and what happens when we get returned, what we send out. Things like that was like, just, and, and I didn't apply it to school. So what happened was um, I actually quit um, after two years of community college and I quit and I went to work for, for a finance organization. And the minute I walked in the door, I loved it. I loved it. I loved putting on the suit. I loved talking to customers. I loved saying, hey, you've got a problem. We have a solution. Let's blah, blah, blah. And, and by the time I was um, 21, I had my own office and I was managing my own office. It's a small one, but the bottom line is it was for me. I mean, I'm telling you, never mind that school stuff. It was for me. Mm -hmm. um, well, pretty hard world after a while. Um, after a while, you kind of get ground in, into the, the, the world of finances is, is a tough one. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I, it didn't fit me after three years. So it, I had to grow. I was, I was, my, my philosophy is a fish grows to fit the pond, right? So I felt like I had grown to fit the pond. And then I went out to bless the world with my presence. And I found out nobody was hiring me. So I went back to university and um, now I had to pay for it myself. Now 
I, I knew what I wanted. Now I knew kind of how the world worked. And I went from being, um, you know, below average student to, mm-hmm. to um, I graduated um, with honors um, and I accelerated my graduation. So I had to finish the last two years while I did it in a year and a half. Um, and, and so my, my background, you know, it is not formal education. I was just always the seat 1A in the class doing great. Mm-hmm. It was quite the opposite. And after what that did was create an, an awareness of, of if I can understand what's happening in me and I can understand how I'm evolving, let's assume to some degree, even people that think they have it together, or, excuse me, that I think they have it together, mm-hmm. maybe they're going through the same type of issue. So mm-hmm. it brings a bit of intuition into the business formula, which um, paid dividends as I went through my, as I went through my, you know, my management and executive from, from, from mid-management, low management to, to um, um, executive management, it paid dividends because um, it was just not usual to focus on, on, on helping somebody really perform the best. And it's not about being liked. So in, in a lot of the board work that I've done, people said, well, you're just, you know, you're just trying to be liked. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the answer, no, it's not about being liked. They know. Um, in fact, if somebody doesn't fit the culture, I always would tell them, mm-hmm. Be happy and be here. Be happy and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But do not be unhappy and be here because you're going to force me to remove you from the organization, which mm-hmm. I don't like to do. But I will mm-hmm. do it because you don't fit what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, so very, very direct about that because mm-hmm. I served the brand, not because they mm-hmm. were serving me or I served my boss. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so these are the things that I brought probably from my parents after coming coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 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 in the first part of your question, you mentioned a lot of this is timing, right? And and you said so. So 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 sometimes you know, if there's leaders, I find out the ones that listen the most and are ready to hear some of these messages that there is a different way to win. And by win, I mean really win, not just compete. Win. There's a different way to win. A lot of times, it's a new executive going into role, mm. and they're trying to assess the organization. They need to do a culture audit. Great. I work with a, with a group called Brands with Values, who does a values audit that's really slick. Um, um, it's a tremendous tool to help a, a leader understand what are the gaps between what we say we stand for and what we're actually doing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, um, then then um, n- new organization. So, so when you join a job, uh, excuse me, <laughs> uh, when you first join a job and executive in that position, uh, second thing is when, when, when you have a crisis. So my experience was born from crisis. Um, and, and so, um, and, and this formula that Rick asked about came from when, you know, when, when, when you have a serious disease, you will change your diet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You will change your, your, your health regime. Well, it's the same thing with an organization. Mm-hmm. When an organization is sick, when you've got a scandal like we did, or, um, um, some sort of a crisis, it's really important to look at the dysfunction of the organization. And that's the leaders that benefit the most is when they're willing to say, man, uh, we need to do something different because if they don't think they need to do anything different, they will not get anything different. Mm-hmm. So, so after that's how I tied those two, those two things that are timing. And then also what is it in my background that caused me to look at business in such a different way? Mm-hmm. Brilliant. You know, that's a really good segue to a better way to win. You mentioned that actually in your share right now, and you're coming out with a book in a few weeks um, with that exact title, a better way to win. Can you share with us a little bit about, some of the key uh, takeaways that you want to share with our audience today on what is a better way to win? What does that look like today? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, so so um, I called that book Better Way to Win. Um, I'll tell you what, I got it from American football. Um, the Seattle Seahawks are a team that's had a lot of success the last 10 years or 12 years under Pete Carroll, the coach. And Pete Carroll is a very positive guy, very let's can do, can do, can do. And it's all about letting individuals be themselves, but performing within the structure of the organization. Juxtapose that to the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, probably the most successful coach in the history of American football. And Bill Belichick is definitely not Pete Carroll. He's definitely top down, uh, top down, controlling. <laughs> they would call it the dark, the dark uh, force and everything else. It's all fine when you win. And they're the most winning. So, so Seahawks, number two, New England's number one. So I heard a, a, a free agent who left New England mm -hmm. and, and the reporter asked, why'd you come to Seattle? And they said, because Pete Carroll told me, you know what? There's a better way to win. And he said, he said, I'll tell you, there is. And, and, and his career flourished. He, he excelled here when he failed there. Mm -hmm. So it kind of the genesis of this idea that a lot of what I talk about is there is a better way to win. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking profits and backfilling your planning and, 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 and all your other activities so that they are going to produce that output, we turn it around and say, understand your customer understand your customer. That's what, you know, FinTech has today that they start with is a love for customer. They see a problem, say, we're going to devote our lives and our resources to solving a customer problem. Sometimes large organizations kind of push customers aside. In fact, you look at a lot of cool startups that kind of have become like large organizations. Uh, try to get help from Spotify sometime. Check where there's customer support. They don't have it. It's a group of other users who answer questions. Well, what does that do? It helps the investors control costs at Spotify. Mm -hmm. Who are the investors? The same guys that invest in big banks. Yeah. So it, it, it's just, it's a funny how it changes once the organization grows. Um, um, but but when, you, when you take that sort of the, an issue of, of, a, of a FinTech entrepreneur or any tech entrepreneur and say, we're going to solve a problem, mm -hmm. they start with the customer. Then we need people to do it. So in a pitch deck, what do you have? You got the team. Yeah. Why do you investor believe that we can accomplish and solve this problem. Well, we know this stuff. We've got this team. And then we have a product that we do. Mm -hmm. So so if you flip that around and say, we need to make this much money, you say, well, we need a product. And then we need to price it. And then we need people to sell it. And then we better get marketing to market it, right? And that sounds very similar, uh, familiar probably to everybody on the call. Turn it around and say, we, we're supposed to be relevant to who? To customers. Mm -hmm. We kind of know it, but do we live it? We're supposed to be relevant to the people who are helping us help customers. Who are they? What do we do? How do we do that? And we have to do this as an investment or as a farming. Um, I, I like to use farming analogy. It's an investment in these two things that then begin to say now leadership. They've got to be relevant. How do we measure their relevance? And how do we challenge leaders? Um, and, and, and so you invest in that and you come up with something that actually is far greater than what you thought with the right mindset, the right communications. Um, um, as opposed to the previous approach was hunting. Let's go get a customer. Mm -hmm. Let's go get an outcome. Let's go hunt. And then you hunt, you kill, you eat, and then do it all over again. And so we had, we had, sorry to interrupt there. We had, please. I just wanted to supplement that point. It's funny you say that we had Mark Devine and uh, two people who, who, who supplement your point, substantiated Mark Devine, who is a well-known Navy SEAL who um, has written a whole bunch of books who came on the show right at the beginning, many months back. And then um, 
uh, the marketing uh, guru, gosh, the name escapes me now, our friend, um, Rick, remind me. Oh, is it Brian Collins? Brian Collins. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll start with Brian Collins. Brian basically said, back to your point, he said, it's the, the problem with business today, and he's the guy who has essentially super creative brain, uh, did all, all of the amazing stuff for Spotify. That's what triggered the thought, by the way. So he did a lot of their branding and stuff. But he said something really profound. He said, the problem with businesses before you get to culture is a vernacular and language most of the language is so weaponized mm -hmm. it's so military based you know um like you just talked about and from hunting in sales to mm -hmm. uh, god knows there's so many other analogies i can't think of it right now we we've been trained to use language that is black or white mm -hmm. that's so definitive and we have to make decisions. And so it leaves no room in the middle for anything um, which you def which you call a better way to win. It's just, you have to win. There's no, there is only win. How, you know, do you remember the story? I, I don't care how you get there. You get me the sales. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you've got to attack and what rules you've got to break. You've got to do the number, Mike, this quarter, because I'm not going back to my boss. The forecast has to be met. You know, it was that, that much pressure. So this idea of attack, hunt, uh, weaponize was reinforced in past talks. And the Mark Devine, who is a Navy SEAL, uh, God bless him, he's come back into the real world and is trying to put in Zen, Ayurveda, spiritual ways of teaching psychological neutrality and balance to Navy SEALs, which was never, ever part of the curriculum. Yeah. It was bang, snipe, destroy. And so I just wanted to interrupt for a moment to let you know that what you're saying has deep meaning for multiple people in multiple industries. It is not the first time, luckily, we've heard it. So please continue. But I just wanted to add that bit there. You bet. I love that because there's room for love in business. We don't talk about it. But right. I'll tell you what, if you don't love your customer, how attached are you to solving the problem, which is supposed to be why you exist? Yeah love your customers mm -hmm. not because they make you money love them because you mm -hmm. want them to have benefit from the stuff that we do here mm -hmm. love your employees again in a, in a corporate setting you're not supposed to use the l word love you know no no well you can and you can express it even without looking at it but you can see that if you do that you have an alignment we want a culture that looks mm -hmm. like this and how do we know that because we have values that look like that okay mm -hmm. when there's an alignment everybody knows it when there's a misalignment, when there's A to B decision-making, look at it this way, uh, single people, I need a mate, I need a partner, I need and A to B, I'm going to go do that, I'm going to do that. Well, how does that work? An endless stream of people who don't meet your needs, right? Because you're just A to B. Same thing in the business world. we got a problem, we're going to solve it. No, there's a whole thing in the middle called gather insights, analyze, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a, there's a whole process that you need to go through in decision-making um, in, in businesses as well. And, and if you look at it that way and, and, you, and you become um, uh, curious as to how we can, how we can go in this organization and, and, and align the values so it's the intentional culture, the one that we say to investors and on our website, but that people feel it. Like you, t you take an executive who has been known in the company as being a toxic presence mm -hmm. and the company invites them to go away. They decruit this person. And the first thing the CEO does is send out a letter saying, um, so-and-so has left the organization to seek better opportunities. Mm -hmm. Can you see the gap start right, right. there? 
That's bullshit. It's not that you didn't. You fired that person because they don't live the values. Bang on. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, yeah. And I, I think people understand the subtext. Any of us who've spent any time in the corporates, we know the corporate language. We know the subculture. So when these words are used, frankly, why don't you call a spade a spade? I mean, you're not going to say, well, I fired AF. You would sort of, it's understood that he's not gone on to seek better opportunities. You told him to leave or he was misaligned with your values or you, you know, whatever it may be. And I think, I think that's the problem. I mean, we've been discussing this for about 18 months. And I think what's becoming clear is the inauthentic nature of the corporation is just absolutely exasperating and frustrating for the next generation. And for us, um, as people are watching Inside Out. I have one more question then for you, and it's a bit of a straight talk question, man. Let's cut to the chase, basically. Yeah. Um, look, 20 years down the line, the big tech organizations are growing in dominance and popularity. Everything technology is really cool for, for us and for the next generation and for the baby boomers. You know, heck, everyone's investing in some Bitcoin or crypto, fascinated by the startup, you know, uh, turned on by Revolut and and Tandem Bank equivalents, you know, uh, enchanted by Lemonade. You cannot stop that. You cannot stop that um, appeal. And no bank on the planet or no corporation can just run a program and uh, fix customer experience. It's just not going to work. And the reason it's not going to work is because the people who run it, back to your people versus profit are the wrong people in the wrong jobs at the wrong time. Right. And how do we get this damn message across? It's our last episode before next year. And let's just, you know, let's just be a little bit honest here. Mike, how do we do it? Because I don't think CEOs of large companies, frankly, understand they're listening. And I'm even going to call them. And I, I quote my friend, Dale Kutnick, who's, um, from a very large research organization. I don't want to say that here, just in case it gets tweeted or whatever it may be. But he's he said it numerous times to me. He said, CEOs don't, don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, we've had consultants advise CEOs. We've got two of you, CEOs of large organizations. We've even had Richard Tobacco Walla, and I can say this, Richard Tobacco Walla was on the board of um, Publicis Group for 34 years. He now writes one of the most popular um, Substack newsletters, an incredible writer. He said it, quote unquote, on our show, CEOs don't know what they're doing. Don't think for a moment, Affen, Rick, that they know what they're doing. So how the hell do we fix this problem, Mike? I mean, your book is a great start, but what are you going to really do if you had a magic wand? Say yeah, whatever so, you want. Say whatever okay. you want. So the problem, what creates the problems as organizations grow and become successful is the investors come in and the investors dictate the return that they want. And the investors have this perspective that is the hunting perspective. I'm going to hunt for profits. A management team, again, the investor that you welcome in today is the one that's going to fire you tomorrow. Okay. Okay. I've seen it happen. It just happened at Tandem Bank. Okay. They're gone. So, so the, so, so you're, you have one chance to continue to keep your dream alive and have it grow and prosper. And and, and that's re- investor, um, I won't say investor repellent, but let's call it an, an umbrella, protected from investor. And that is a strong corporate mm. culture that you've got your arms, you've got, you've got your fingers on the pulse of. Mm. Uh, just like, it's like personal development begins with knowing thyself. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the leadership team. Know thy company, understand what's going on. Understand what you do, be honest, that is making the job harder for people. What do you do 
that makes things more difficult for the people that are doing the important work in the company. Trust me, the important work of the company is down the shop front floor, right? It's, it's not mm-hmm. at the top always. Mm-hmm. So, so understanding and having a, having a good audit of your culture is the very best way to create trust with your team. And that makes you irreplaceable because they can't come in and replace you with another person who's control oriented, who's, who's another hunter. You, 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 you create a level of trust inside and you create an umbrella for the investors outside. And then you can stay pure to purpose. Mm. You grow the organization, you still innovate. But F, that's the very best thing you can do to repel an external force coming in and saying, don't like your plans, not fast enough, not quick enough. got to jump higher, got to jump farther. And, and, that's the, and that's the way to repel it. Mm. And, um, two trigger, and two triggers have happened. Like you said at Barclays, when that BBC... Uh, whistleblower documentary got released the triggers for us or the compelling events have been covid and then the digital revolution i guess hopefully being optimistic this is um you know um accelerate hopefully going to accelerate the process of change in a lot of these organizations what do you think yeah Yeah, it says wake up right Mm -hmm. wake up because what we're describing here is wake the hell up do Mm -hmm. something different if you do the exact same thing different but we're gonna we're gonna you know incrementally change something you're going to get the same outcome you are not protecting yourself as a leader and you're because because you're not serving the organization so um um there's another even more complex thing which i i only touch because i know we want to get to q a but um look there's there's one thing that is the reward system is is a challenging one right so if executive is paid on ownership of the company shares and 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 the staff is paid based on performance bonuses there, there's a gap there. So when I talk about what I need to get my shares and what you need to do to get your bonus, there, there's two different things. You've got to bridge that gap somehow and there's clever ways to do it because you're supposed to serve one purpose. Yeah. So th- there's That's some good. real issue there and the investors are the real issue in my mind, Af, in terms of, in terms of um, um, what we look in like 10 or 20 years from now. You better know your company. You better know exactly and, and, and be attached to the purpose of your company and have a level of trust that makes you mm. irreplaceable so you can preserve what you've built. That's is great. It, is, it better, is it better to keep companies private rather than IPO and go public then? Well, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, certainly there's a real <laughs> benefit there. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a real benefit. So yeah, that, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. No one's ever discussed that, eh? Hypothesis <laughs> test that. Are right. private companies more culturally aligned and are mm-hmm. employees happier uh, versus listed companies? Yeah. Ask, ask Ifinity. Ifinity is mm-hmm. is um, a true a true unicorn. AI mm-hmm. um, profitable billion, three billion, four billion, or five billion pound valuation right now. They're staying private. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know when they talk about going public, but they haven't, mm-hmm. and they're staying private, and, um, and they're solving that liquidity problem in another way. So mm-hmm. it happens. That's wonderful. I love that. Um, I want to remind our audience, uh, please send in your questions right now. We have a few coming up. Uh, one burning question really quick, Mike, is we talked about, you know, really it's about power. You know, where does the power reside with the investors and how that influences the company and the integrity of the company? One quite last question for you is, Often what happens on an executive team or leadership team, as you probably know, is that you know half there's half the old guard, half the new way of thinking. So you have half the, the team that still is all about profit driven, that's all they care about is, you know, and, and maybe they're serving the investors or whatever have you, shareholders. But then there's the other half of the investment of the executive team that it's like, no, it's actually about culture. It's about people. We need to really 
come back to what's most important to keep people here and engaged in the right thing. How do you, what's your coaching for those executives or influencers who are trying to shift the old guard mentality, but they're having, they're running against that wall and, mm-hmm. and the team is split. What, how do you usually try to work or what do you offer? What do you advise those influencers? Yeah, um, quite honestly, invite everybody. So number one, communicate very clearly what you're doing, the energy behind it, why you're doing it, and 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 acknowledge it's different, but but invite everybody to follow in the journey that we're going to take. Mm. And by the way, communicate in a way that articulates. Remember, I said you create a vision that's stretchy. Mm. You don't have to then create a an explanation of why today doesn't work. And there's cool ways to do that. Mm. Part of the insights for why it doesn't work is really important because you have to sometimes hit people in the head with, it's broken. And now we were lucky. BBC showed us it was broken. So yeah. if you don't have that, how do you do it? Well, there's some yeah. tricks you need that, that you can do. But then you're going to line those in, in a plan that fits underneath the strategy and says, gosh, here's what we're going to do. And we're going we're gonna to do some prioritization of work designed to bring those, to bridge the gap and bring that future into life. So communication is really important, but you've got to watch the executives. It's at the top. Watch them, look them in the eye and say, are they coming along or are they nodding and their feet aren't moving? Right. I mean, how many times we all talk to somebody and we see them, okay, yes, 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 but their feet don't move. Yeah. So, so if that happens, you must, you, you, you absolutely must make changes. Um, invite everybody, but only those that answer the call get to go on. And, and by the way, um, I, had, I, I had 12 direct reports when I started at Barclays. Only one was there two years later. Only one. Mm-hmm. Now, some left voluntarily because they, they took my they took my um, invitation to dec- you know to, to migrate away. They said, "No, this doesn't work for me." Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have gone on to high success. Fantastic! That's a beautiful outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to decruit others because they just weren't going. And if I don't hold my team accountable, yelling at them to hold their teams accountable doesn't work. Good, mm-hmm. good management does not start at the level below me. It starts mm-hmm. here. So, Rick. You have to make those tough decisions. I, I love inviting everybody. I love opening up to everybody, but very, very, um, um, uh, in, in a very, very rapid and, and, and um, deliberate way, you need to decide, is this person really going to be accelerating the vision or are they going to be minimizing it? Yeah, that's great. So you got to make Thank changes. You. I, yeah. I think the other thing, Rick, I think interesting is that people don't always make the decision for themselves in terms of whether they've tried hard enough and it's just not working. It's like pushing a rock up a hill. After a while, you're like, you know, why should I be sitting on this table? I've got so much potential and talent. Do I want to spend the next three years trying to do change management with the other half who just don't get us? I mean, God forbid if Elon Musk and Bill Gates and all of these other maverick leaders had done that in corporations, we wouldn't be using these cool laptops and using this software, right? So they said, "Uh uh-uh, not for me. I'm off. So there is a time when you've got to say goodbye, like the exit. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I, I often see corporations, in fact, corporate executives don't have that conversation freely. It's just too well planned and they go right to the yeah. end. Like they do their sentence, right? Instead of saying, no, it, by the way, is there a get out of jail free card? Oh yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. And you're out. So I think there's an opportunity for a lot of bright executives to say, well, probably not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. After we called it, we, we, we called it, adult to adult conversation because yeah. I found out you guys, I found out, I remember sitting with my executive team one day saying, you guys, I just found out when people leave the, leave the organization every day and they drive home, they actually make babies. And what do they do? They raise them and, and, and they care for elderly parents. And then they go to the school boards. They do all this stuff without our policies, procedures, and oversight. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, what's going on out there? How do they do that without us? 
And sarcasm aside, it's like, mm-hmm. let's start treating them as adults. Right. Mm-hmm. Here's where we're going. Right. Here's what I need. I need yep. the best person in the world at your position. Are you the best person? Hey, if it doesn't fit, please mm-hmm. go yeah. find another solution. Yeah. But you find out there's talent in the organization ready mm-hmm. to come up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's a whole other talent management discussion that they're ready to come up. And boy, do they do a great job when they get the chance finally to get up there. Because the company depends on me to hire the very best executives. They depend on me. And if I don't do that, if I accept average at executive level, then I am an average leader, no matter what I say. Mm. Love that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's get to some of our questions on, on our social media feed here. So we have a question from Facebook. Um, someone on Facebook is asking, I think there's a sense that if you don't have that cutthroat attitude in business, you won't have the intensity and the drive to make things happen. That people who are soft are more likely to be complacent and let opportunities pass them by. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, bullshit. What I've talked about, I'm sorry, straight talk. Is that okay to say yeah. bullshit on here? Oh, yeah. 100%. Totally. Not much okay. worse. Okay, good. Um, absolutely not. It's not soft. People think of, of managing people as a soft art. Um, no, no, no. It's not soft at all. What it actually does is um, it creates a level of accountability that, that doesn't take power to enforce. Okay. Mm. The, 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 when you think of martial arts, let's talk about that for a second. Think of martial arts. Um, the, the, you're, you're, not, you're not expressing your ability to, to overpower an opponent. You're working with their energy. And, and, and the analogy kind of get out of hand a little bit. But the point of it is it's not about power. It's the same thing. What I'm, what I'm talking about is not being nicer. It's being fair and it's describing where we're going to go. And the certainty that we're going to get there is massively important. Like I said a minute ago, if somebody doesn't, doesn't fit, 11 out of 12 people migrated away. 11 out of 12 people, the day I started, I was told nine of the 12 could never leave or the whole company would fail. So it's, it's a myth that it's a softer art to focus on people, first of all. But secondly, mm-hmm. if you serve the brand and you communicate it clearly and you're being very fair in what you're doing and you say, these are our values and we live, live by them, actually, guys... Um, living to values is probably the most challenging thing in business and personally that you can possibly do. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. so it's, you end up getting, getting follower, people that love you for what you're doing, right? People that say, thank you. I'm finally working at a company that appreciates me. That's allowing me to do my best work and that I admire the honesty and the lack of hypocrisy. So you, you get that, but it's not from being nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's from, by the way, there's one quick thing on accountability. What I'm describing is creating accountability. There's three things for having accountability. Somebody needs the responsibility. To do that, they need the authority. And finally, you can hold them accountable. Hmm. If you line up a responsibility and authority and you're fair with them, you can hold them accountable. And you must hold them accountable because you're letting down everybody else the company if you don't hold this person accountable. So again, it's not soft. It's, uh, it's actually creating culture of real accountability um, as opposed to uh, um, uh, not a genuine or, or, or an inauthentic accountability because I gave the data um, scientists the ability, the responsibility for doing something. And I gave the marketing guys the authority to do it, but I'm going to fire the person who didn't sell it. Mm. That, that's not accountability. Mm-hmm. That's not. So mm-hmm. you align those things and you're fairly hold people accountable and it makes a difference. Um, so I hope that kind of touches on that. Beautiful. Rick. Beautiful. Good yeah. I love that. And I really hear that. Um, what we what a lot of people call soft skills are really just great communication and <laughs> like really important direct honest hard communication that's not necessarily soft 
right? It's going to be very uncomfortable. And in fact, that's what makes a real team um, aligned. Yeah. Soft skills. We're talking about the secrets to life, you guys. Right. <laughs> so, do you think these, do you think we're somebody at home and different in person? No, I just, I just pointed out that we're the same. We're one person, right? We yeah. just go to different theaters and we do what we do. This yeah. is the secret to life. I'm telling mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Love that. We have another question from Brett, Brett Packard. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, two questions. Uh, what was your biggest unforeseen obstacle in between the design and end stages of the transformation? That's the first question. I don't know if you want to write that down, but I can repeat it. And the second question yeah. is, what advice would you give leaders in the design stage? Do you, want, do you want me to repeat that or did you catch that? So what was your first question? What was your biggest unforeseen obstacle in between the design and end stages of the transformation? Okay. Biggest obstacle was lack of believers. Um, I thought because I was really important in the United States and that people really liked me, they gave me this book. Mm-hmm. So here I am. And I've announced my presence, Barclays, and let's go ahead and transform this culture. And the crickets I heard were, were you know, this, this out deafening. Okay. So, so it's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? So, so that was a massive obstacle was creating a bunch of believers and creating it. So one night I walked out. So, so the next question might be then how, what, what do you do about that obstacle? One night I walked out and, and, you know, I'm, I have an office cause I'm an executive and, talk about division right and 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 all the other people are lined up in desks workstations working out there and i'm and i walk out the sea of people i don't even know who works for me who doesn't work for me mm-hmm. i said who wants to go out for beer tonight it was funny all the british people went <laughs> and really? three young three young australians raised their hand and said yeah we'll go <laughs> so we go out and 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 um and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it because they said, you know, how are you going to do what you're going to You keep talking about stuff. We don't work for you, by the way. We work in HR. How are you going to do it? I said, it's just what I do. No, I mean, how? Mm. I just do it. We did 32 acquisitions and I brought people on board and I brought the organization and, 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 and you know, I was the first person to explain our culture. It's culture, you guys. Mm-hmm. But how? And finally, I shut up and I decided, I better, what are you asking me this for? Well, it turned out that they had some experience in transforming culture. Mm. Qantas. And, oh. and they said, you know what, you're missing something because there, but Wash Mutual, you had people behind you. You had an organization behind you. you. You're not even liked yet, Mike. Nobody even knows you. There's nobody behind you. You need a plan. And the transformation plan was born that night on a napkin of saying, you need a future vision. Wow. You need a present situation and you need a gap that's going to close the two things. And that's what, that's what, so I said, tomorrow morning, I'm talking to the head of HR. You work for me and wow. let's get going. That's awesome. So. The three of them, we'd meet at 5.30 every night to 7.30, and we start drafting the plan that we started making the group bigger and bigger. So obstacles, believers, the solution was creating a transformation map that aligned people mm-hmm. towards that. Second question, F, can you remind me? What advice would you give leaders in the design stage? I think you sort of Okay. Design stage, but, but, but it's a really good question. Stretch the vision. Stretch the vision. Quit saying, if I'm here today, then if I did 40%, I'd be leading the industry. I'm going to benchmark between other people. No, if your if, if your potential is 2X, commit to 2X, be brave enough to stretch your vision and start working towards it. You'll be amazed at how the organization grows to that. I'm telling you, trust me on that. So number one, stretch a vision. Number two, one of the key things is to get in, insights. Surveys do not give insights. Use the words of the people who you've done barriers. You put barriers in front of them. Use their words. 
to populate your message on how today doesn't work. Hmm. Ask them, sit with them, watch them. That's, that's the two biggest things I could say. And once you have that, you can, you can do something with it. And there's clever ways to get those insights. Like I said, send a survey saying, you know, are you aligned with the vision? And, and then take a group of people who look at, oh, let's take the bottom three things. Let's fix them. Let's have a campaign. And you guys know campaigns, right? Mm-hmm. Maxis, mm-hmm. effort, energy, sex, sponsorship, big announcement. We're getting refrigerator magnets. We're going to have stuff on the internet. And it oh, dies down. <laughs> this is a transformation. It's not a campaign. So those, those, those things, F, I would say, are mm-hmm. crucial. And God bless, God bless um, Philippa, Rafe, and Stephanie from Australia, who mm-hmm. became key parts of my team. And when we did the transformation meeting, I brought them up on stage and thanked them. And I still thank them from the bottom of my heart for showing me that. Oh, that's so cool. They might, they might be on the call. Let, let's, have a, let's have a look. There's some more questions. Rick, do you want to take the next one? Yeah, we have time for one more here. Um, let's see. Um, I'm going to open up the Facebook one. Um, Mike, how will this work for the not-for-profit sector, especially when you are not comparing against profit, but to impact on, uh, on beneficiaries? Okay, not-for-profit. It's, it's absolutely crucial. Let's go back to this culture word, right? Uh, every organization, profit or not-for-profit, has an ecosystem. And the ecosystem needs to be designed in a way that has people, uh, allows people to do their very best work for the purpose. Mm-hmm. And who's more purpose-driven than a nonprofit? except for a nonprofit with a bad corporate culture, or not corporate culture, but nonprofit culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so understand the ecosystem and understand the impact the leader of the nonprofit has. Purpose is not enough. We've got to align the values mm-hmm. and align, align the activities mm-hmm. and recognition, performance assessment, and, and, and communication of, of what we want people to do at this organization are just as important whether it's for a shareholder share price, whether it's for a financial outcome or not, you serve a purpose. And if anything, in a, in a nonprofit, it's it's vital that you're aligned with who you say you are, with who you really are, and what's on display every day. Again, I go back with brands with values. You literally can take a pulse check of the values being expressed in the company um, on a regular basis. You, you can do it every day. It takes seven minutes. And, and you can do a pulse check on the values and make sure that we're in alignment. And, 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 um, and, you know, cause leading is like standing on a ball, right? You can never really react. You can relax. I mean, and so how do you do that? Well, you need, you need information to do that, but, but that's how it affects a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Now, look, I think you're going to wrap up and I think, and there's other questions. So I don't know how you guys have done this in the past, but if, if there's questions and we want to put them onto your, onto your, um, your, uh, pages and you want me to answer in writing mm-hmm. there, I'll be happy to, um, if, if you have another way that people can answer questions, they can ask me directly. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to answer questions directly, but I love talking about this. And you guys have really got me excited today. So thank you for having me on. No, I want to say thank you. Your passion is just exuding out of the Zoom call into the ethers. Um, and so just really appreciate how fired up you are and the great human work that you've been doing all these years. And by the way, for those who are just listening to audio, um, we're seeing tons of comments in our stream right now that are also about, hey, Mike's the real deal. Like we, we worked for him, you know, in Barclays or in Washington Mutual and have really benefited from your transformational work. Um, so there's so many people that you have worked with that are commenting on here that are really just applauding your incredible leadership and, and your influence over the years. Gosh, so, that's cool. That makes me happy. So thank you, you know, so Brent, much again. Yeah. Brett Packard, who asked one of those questions, I wasn't going to say it because I wanted him to be anonymous, but Brett Packard was one of the key 
architects of what we did. He was an executive that came and joined us and, and, and Brett was hugely responsible. So when he asked that question, he was, he was, um, uh, he, he saw it firsthand and he knew he was a big part of it. So thank you, Brett. Awesome. And now, Claire, I saw your question. I saw your feedback too, Claire. So to you too. Sorry, Rick, go ahead. Oh, no worries. So just on that point, where should people go to find out more about you, your work and your upcoming book? Where should they go? Yeah. Okay. Um, right now you can find me on amatosparks.com. The whole genesis of, of what I talk about is it takes one small spark just to get mm. things ignited in a company or for an individual, whether it's personal, professional, or in a company setting. So amatosparks.com is where you can find me. Now, look, I've got a Facebook page uh, called Why Not You by Mike Amato, and that's a kind of a personal transformation page. Mm. I do a lot of individual mentoring. Mm. Um, and, and the question is, why not you? Let's, let's mm. go. Let, let's, let's find mm. out uh, how we can help you get get. Uh, what you do, and, it turned, I, 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 and I do some some mentoring. I have a mentoring program that's that's um, a blast. We we have a blast, and boy, do we measure the results, and the results are phenomenal. Um, so you can find me there now. If you're if you're a wine person and you want to ever try Ambassador Wines of Washington, 2005 we started a winery. Just last week, Ambassador Wines was uh, voted one of the top 100 wineries in the world. So um, we do that on we do that on the side. So. Um, that's how you can find awesome. me in the winery and, and you can find me in those two, those two places. And I think my email, you, you can see my email on my, on my LinkedIn profile. Well, I know Af and I are keen to drink a glass of your wine while reading your upcoming book, a better way to win. And so <laughs> where can people go to pre-order your book? Should just go to Amazon or any of the usual suspects? Yeah, exactly. I haven't, haven't uh, got that part of it all figured out yet, but for sure, Amazon and, and it'll be the, it'll be the, it'll be self-published. So it'll be the, the usual suspects is right. Okay. And what we'll do, Mike, is we're going to put your links on our profile speakers page for you. So when people go to straighttalk.live, they can go to Mike Amato, your, your personal profile page, and we'll get all of your links that you want on there as well. So we'll make sure That's to really communicate cool. that and connect that as well. Really cool, you guys. Thanks so much. And gosh, thanks for having me at, at your um, season ending podcast session. And I'll watch with it. I went back and watched several of, of, of your previous ones and mm. you guys are onto something here. So I really look forward to seeing what you come out with um, Q1 of next year mm. and, uh, and uh, be excited to be part of that, whether I'm in the audience or not. So thank you. No, thank you. Well, we have, I have an idea. I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe the first show we do in uh, the new year, because you would have launched your book by then. And then I guess you would have been, you know, doing a lot more of these during that, you know, during that sort of period. We'd probably love to, if you've got time, uh, love to have you back as one of the opening um, guests or close to one of the opening guests, if we, if we can get the dates right, because it was it would be it would be lovely to see how the book was received, what you've learned through the process and maybe pick up on more specific um, aspects of leadership, because uh, it's so refreshing, really. And, and, you know, you have the respect and credibility and the gravitas and, of course, all of your fans have joined the show today and your your <laughs> sponsors and your friends. So, you know, you're a great guy, you're humble and you've got so much gratitude and, you know, this is the kind of leadership we need um, mm -hmm. for the next generation. So I thank you, both Brick and I thank mm -hmm. you sincerely. Before we go, it's a slightly extended show, but why not? Um, would you like to say something about your experience today? I mean, you know, deep down, how have you felt? Was it what you thought it was? And you sort of alluded to that, but it'd be lovely to have some final sort of words before we close off today um, from you. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, I'll tell you what, first of all, I'm really grateful for the chance to talk about the book before it's launched. Um, uh, I hope to do a lot of these and, and uh, get the word out there about the book. 
Um, and, and so I'm grateful to be and, and, and proud to be um, um, in, in your season finale. Uh, I think I, I, what I really liked is so much to talk about. And you guys were really unlocking with your questions. You're unlocking deep, deep content and deep experience. What, what I like to convey is it's not my, my experience is different than just theoretical. Um, it's, it's actually doing it. It's actually being in the role of almost every job in a bank and, and um, knowing what it's like um, to, to work directly with customers and, and to, and to work in the, you know, the, and, and to kind of come up that career ladder. And I like to bring this to everybody in terms of the energy that it creates. I really appreciated the question about my background and my parents, because mm. obviously um, I'm a product of, of, of a bunch of stuff, um, mostly good. I'm, I'm sure I'm, there's, there's probably, if we looked hard, there's something that's not, but uh, no, I'm a product of something. And, and asking the question on that personal level opens me up to be much more direct, much more honest mm. here. So I love it. And I love mm. straight talk live, um, the whole concept of just being open. I belong to a group called Punks and Pinstripes, which is entrepreneurs, and and um, how how do entrepreneurs succeed in an organization of pinstripes and 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 we talk very openly, very um, very uh, become vulnerable, and you guys have allowed that today. So I actually feel very um, attached to to your um, um, to your your podcast. I can't say organization, but but to, to what you guys are doing, just because you've allowed me to be vulnerable and mm-hmm. and invited it and let me say the L word that. I love the people I worked with and I love working mm. with a purpose and I love being here today. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And we want to invite you to be part of our STL. We have a WhatsApp group with past speakers and our rave, some of our top raving fans that are amazing conversations that happen on there. It's a very live channel. So we'd love to bring you on that mix if you're open to that as well. Right on. So thank you again, Mike, for your time um, and your energy and your passion and what you're doing in the world. Any ways that we can continue to support your work and your wine and your books and your work, let, let us know. And um, also just the Straight Talk fans out there, thank you so much for being part of our journey these first two seasons. Um, you know, from the moments of really COVID in March when we launched to where we're at today in this in- interesting world that we're still co-creating together. So thank you all. And Af, any final words? Uh, just feelings mutual and uh you know i feel slightly nostalgic about the fact that we're not going to be doing this every thursday Mm -hmm. and uh but i feel very excited about what's coming next year the weeks will just fly by and it's going to be another momentous sort of um revolution i think next year with straighttalk.live because we're going to do what we do today but with uh, much more uh, depth and and a whole new set of minds that we'll get to discover and uncover. So I'm really excited. Um, I urge you all on this call, a lot of people who know Mike as well, you are veterans in the industry, please jump on www.straighttalk.live. It's totally not for profit. We don't make any money. It's self-funded, no sponsors. It's a mission. It's a revolution. We have thousands of listeners now, fortunately. We have a lot of work to do though, still, Mm -hmm. and we need your communities and your networks to help us do that. So please join the community for free and we'll keep sending you clips, video replays. We're gonna be on YouTube permanently now from uh, 2022 onwards. So really gracious and and grateful for everything that we've been blessed with. And thank you, Mike. Um, Thanks, Rick, for being a, a true friend and a partner. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in London where we'll, uh, we'll talk hopefully with a, a glass of ambassador of, of Mike's Mike's. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely need to get all of that. Money. 
So All right. Happen. Like that. That's your. That's your responsibility. That's you're accountable for that. You have the authority. Okay. I love it. We're letting the the present and the future. We're going to bridge those visions right now. <laughs> all right, thank well, you all. Let's stretch it. Let's make two bottles. Let's stretch uh, it a little bit. Love it, love it. All right, thank you all, and keep straight talking out there. And we'll be in touch soon. Take care, everyone. Good night. Good night. <laughs>